right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have Michael Swain joining the show in about 35 minutes from right now to talk some KU football, KU basketball. We have some KU track audio to share with you. And we're going to do a draft of one-year Bill Self players with Scott Chasen, formerly of 24-7 Sports, uh, but now just joins us as a friend of the show. Opening things up here, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller, coming back to college to play at KU next season. I can't say returning to KU because in the case of Kevin McCuller, that would not be accurate. He was at Texas Tech last season. Gary Bedore um, tweeted this out. and uh, I guess apparently Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller are like best friends from their childhood. They're both from Texas. I, I don't think they ever like played together in, in like AAU or high school or anything. So they've never like been teammates from that standpoint, but just really good friends kind of from the same area. I'm sure that was sort of like a package deal. If you're that good of friends and you almost say that, you know, this is this is what we're going to do. Uh, like, let's do it together, right? Not that I was really, or, or that I think anybody was ever really concerned about, you know, what's the transition from McCuller going to be to Kansas? You're an experienced player who plays great defense. You're multi-versatile, a really flexible player. Uh, Bill Self's going to love his game anyway. But it just, it makes you feel even better that his transition should be smoothed over and the chemistry is going to be there quicker because he already has those close tie-ins with, you know, with Jalen Wilson coming back, basically the assumed best player and and the leader on the team, which is what you kind of expect Jalen Wilson to be here. And it's interesting because KU certainly still has a lot to fill. I mean, you're looking at filling like 75% of of the minutes and points that you lost, uh, you know, kind of roughly give or take from last year. But you also can sit there and say that, okay, well, we have two starters back now with Dewan Harris and Jalen Wilson. Another guy who we have coming in was a three-year uh, a three-year player at Texas Tech and a really good player for the Red Raiders this past season. So it's like we have three returning starters, essentially. And then a lot of the guys who are going to be asking to play bigger roles, like, you know, they didn't have a ton of experience last year, but maybe they got a little bit. Like, you can you can kind of work that conversation whichever way you want. Certainly, this won't be as experienced of a team as it was last season, but now you have all sorts of talent, and just from the group of wings that this team is going to have, like this very really could be the best group of wings, and probably is, of any team in the country. They probably had the best group of wings this past season, too. You have Ochak Baji, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson. That's that's an elite set of wings. And now this year, you have Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson. You add in those two McDonald's All-American freshmen with MJ Rice and Grady Dick. You probably have the best group of wings, once again, in the country. We always talk about guard play wins in March. I still believe that to be the case. 
I mean, KU doesn't do what they did unless Remy Martin really picks it up and, and has some of those games that he did. I mean, if you didn't get what you got from Remy Martin in the Creighton game, you might be going home in the second round. Same thing in the Sweet 16 against Providence. Um, his second half effort against North Carolina, right? There's so many times you can point to proof that guard play wins it. And how many times did Dewan Harris make big stretches of big defensive plays or just kind of be a steadying, calming force for you out on the perimeter? Guards win in March. But in the new age of basketball, wings have become so much more important. You know, at the outstart of basketball, it was always just who has the best center, right? And it was, you know, if you have the biggest guy, you have the best center, you're going to dominate. We're going to run the offense through him. If it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Walton or whoever, right? And that was the case. With the way that teams play now where you're switching constantly and um, you have multi-versatile guys who are playing in different spots and just having the ability to have, you know, that perfect blend of athleticism and height, Wings can very much drive play as well. And I still think it is a, a guard game most when I talk about guards, you know, drive play in March. But you think back to some of the recent teams who have had, like, great teams of wings. I'm not just talking, like, one good wing. But, like, if you have a great team of wings, Kansas this past season, uh, the year before, Michigan was the team who was known as having probably the best wing play in the country. They had Franz Wagner, who ended up being a first-round pick and had a great rookie season. They had uh, Isaiah Livers, who was really good. Um, I thought they had someone else as well. And that team ended up being a one seed. They made it to the Elite Eight. And if not for an injury to one of their players, you know maybe they go even further than that. So wing play, because it allows you to be more switchable, and we know KU wants to play more of a switchable defense now and get out in transition, which, again, goes in line with, okay, who are going to be the best players in transition? How about the guys who are, you know, tall enough to have their length matter, but still quick enough to matter in transition, which are those wings? Having the best group of wings in the country, that is a real advantage that KU will have every night on the basketball court. Now, Wilson comes back as the immediate leader of the team, both in terms of being the favorite to probably lead the team in scoring, you'd guess 15, 16, 17 points per game. I think part of that just depends on what is he going to be as a shooter, which we'll get to here in a second. Uh, I would imagine he's going to lead you in rebounding. He's been your leader in rebounding the last two years. So, yeah, you could say, well, I think it'll be one of the freshmen, but I think with all the uncertainty of who's going to be the guy or, or what collection of guys are going to play minutes at the center position, it's hard to envision one center with how many good ones KU has or, or possible unproven but young and, and talented options KU has at the center position. It, it's hard to say that, okay, one guy's just going to take a lion's share of the minutes. One of those centers between Clements, Cam Martin, Zuby Edgefer, and Ernest Uday are going to take 30 of the minutes. No, it's probably like, okay, one guy might play 20, another might play 10, another might play 10, something like that, right? Um, to where Jalen Wilson's probably your leading rebounder as well. He's going to be a transition nightmare for opposing teams. And I think, yeah, you look at it and say that he'll be not just the leader by example because he is the returning, you know, kind of alpha dog, so to speak. Um, But he's also, I think, a vocal leader. 
at times uh, of a team trying to repeat as national champs. The leadership aspect should not be undersold of how important that is. There have been other KU teams that it hasn't been an obvious answer of who the guy is. And maybe that's kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? Maybe that's something where, well, the more successful your team is, the easier we're going to just assign and say, oh, of course, that guy's the leader, right? Like the 2019-20 team would have been the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament had COVID not canceled the year. And it's easy to look back and say that because Yudoka Azubuke was an unbelievable player. Fantastic. But he, he wasn't what you think of. In, like, he wasn't like a vocal leader, necessarily. I think of, like, Devon Dotson being the, the kind of leader uh, of that team. Devon Dotson came in as a freshman, and he was, I mean, as far as freshmen go, like, he was ready to assume that role. But that team wasn't as good. And maybe you could say the leadership improves as you go on and, and grow in years, and maybe that's more difficult because that freshman year you did have LeGerald Vick kind of casting a wide shadow over the program early on, and then Yudoka Azubuki gets injured. But you can go to other years where KU maybe wasn't as good and you had really good players, but maybe you didn't have that, like, the best player on your team wasn't always a great leader. And that was the thing with, like, like Ochai Baji wasn't, like, the leader who's going to, like, you know, Tom Brady you and yell at you if you drop a pass or something or, or mess up a route. But he was a really good leader just in terms of, you know, getting the guys together. But you had other voices in there. It, it was a, very much a collective effort this past season. Like, Christian Brown could could be a vocal leader. Jalen Wilson could be a vocal leader. I think you have to have somebody who can be a vocal leader. Even if your star guy is a leader by example, somebody has to take on that role for your team. Jalen Wilson will not only be your best player this next season, but I believe he will take that role up on the team because we've seen it before in the past. The swing skill is obviously going to be the shooting. And I'm sure that's what NBA teams told him as well. Um, you know, if the defense improves too, that'd be a nice boon. There are times when, you know, teams would try to target a mismatch on Jalen Wilson or where you'd kind of fall asleep on that end of the floor. Um, but there were also times when Jalen Wilson showed some really good flashes on that end as well. So if he improves on the defense, that's a nice boon. But the shooting is going to be the most key part of this for multiple reasons. One, going back to what for him is his path to an NBA future. Hitting shots. For his career, he's under 30% from three. This past season was closer to 25%. Four of 22 on threes in the NCAA tournament. I, I did mention this yesterday. It is good to point out that in Big 12 play only, he was up to 34%. If you told me he's going to be a 34% shooter from three over the course of the season, I think I would still say, well, can it get even a little higher? But I think you'd be okay with that overall. That'll be the big question. It's not just about, though, like, can you hit them? It's about how consistent are you there. Um, number two, it, it make him a complete offensive player. We already know Jalen is elite at transition play and driving to the rim and finishing either, you know, through contact or um, over length or whatever it is. And we've seen him have the ability to hit kind of that mid-range shot. Again, maybe a little bit inconsistently, but probably more consistently than the three-point game goes. So we know that he has like a lot of things that can um, make him a very potent offensive player. and He can handle the ball for a big guy, all those things, right? The big question is the shot. 
And so if he's hitting shots there, it just makes him that much more difficult to defend. It's one thing. he It's never gotten to a point because he takes enough threes. Like, that's part of it, too. Um, the amount of volume he takes uh, makes it so that defenses still have to defend him from three. And that's that's the biggest thing you want to avoid. You don't want teams sagging off of you so much that it limits your spacing and ability to do other things offensively. Teams still guard Jalen out there. Now, maybe it's 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 different than how teams guard Ochag Baji or would guard Christian Brown out there. Maybe it's a little more distance between the defender and the shot maker, but they're still out there. Now, all of a sudden, if Jalen becomes a 36, 37% three-point shooter, like, good luck is the defense. Because now if you're getting up on him square, he's just going to drive by you every time. So, like, it just it, it adds another facet to his offensive game that would help the areas he's already good at. And I think probably if you're talking about him being a above average or a really good shooter from the outside, if he adds that to his game, you're probably talking about the difference between what could be a first-team All-Big 12 player this next season to being a legit first-team All-American candidate. Like, that is the jump there. It's already, you know, a really good player, but it's going from a really good player to one of the best in the country. That's what we're talking about there with the shooting. And KU needs shooting, too. Like, that's the third part of this. Because that's my biggest question about this team headed into next season. I think the defense should be elite. I think offensively, they're going to have a ton of athleticism. They should have a ton of guys who are great in transition. They're going to have a lot of talent. But it's how consistent can this team be at shooting the basketball? And Jalen helped solve one of the big questions. If he wouldn't have come back, I think you would have had just questions about the offense overall. Like, who's going to lead the team in scoring? Who's the go-to option? Who's the guy down the stretch? That obviously would hurt your transition game. That would hurt your ability to drive. Now that Jalen's back, it answers a lot of those questions. But we still don't have the question answered, what about the shooting? So that'll be the swing skill. Now, Kevin McCuller, he meanwhile joins KU as a defensive stopper. Uh, he's a switchable piece, both sides of the floor. He's a secondary ball handler offensively. Another great transition player. He can grab and go. He can find open teammates on the break. He brings experience to a lineup that, outside of Wilson and Harris, you know, you can, like I said, kind of twist that story whichever way you want. You can say, well, sure, these guys didn't play a ton, but they're with the team for a while. Or you can say they don't have a ton of returning minutes or points in a KU uniform. And the swing skill, once again, is the shooting. Again, for multiple reasons. And when I say swing skill, I, I don't mean from being like a bad player to a good player. Both of these guys, Kevin McCuller and Jalen Wilson, are really good players. Both of these guys are all Big 12 caliber players. When I say the swing skill is shooting, it's again, in reference for both of them, the difference between you know maybe being on a two-way contract or being undrafted and being a legitimate NBA player, being a legitimate NBA draft pick, and for KU's perspective, being maybe a really good team versus being a great team. Like that That's the difference here. We're, we're talking about margins, thin margins here. And, and honestly, in the case of Kevin McCuller, I think I said this yesterday, if Kevin McCuller comes back to KU this year, and let's say he puts up 13 points per game, right? It's not like an exorbitant amount of points, but like it's a it's a nice amount, um, especially for a guy at that point that would probably be second on your team in scoring. And he does so while shooting 38% from three. And you're talking about a guy who is the best defender in the conference, one of the best defenders in the country. He's shooting efficiently from three. He's giving you 13 a game. 
he's got all the size in the world. He can handle the basketball. And the NBA game values wings, athletic wings who can defend at a very high level, especially 3 and D guys. Like, he could legitimately be a first-round pick. And that's interesting because you start to think about Kansas from the standpoint of the talent they have on the roster, the expectation for Grady Dick. Uh, a lot of these early mock drafts, you see him in the top 20 for the 2023 draft. MJ Rice could be the same thing, uh, a first-round draft pick. The the skill set of a guy like Zach Clements, if that ever comes around and hits, like there's no reason he could not be a first-round draft pick with the way he fits into the NBA game. You could make the real argument. Now, in terms of enough food to go around, enough shots to go around, enough production to go around, uh, it, it likely doesn't all happen in the same year. But if you said Zach Clements is a first-round pick two or three years from now, if you said MJ Rice is a first-round pick two years from now, if you said Grady Dick's a first-round pick one year from now, Kevin McCuller one year from now, whatever it is, you can make the argument there are a lot of potential first-round picks on this roster. And that isn't a prerequisite to winning a title, but it certainly helps. Every team who has won a title dating back to 1986 Indiana, has had a first-round pick on the roster. And even that 86 Indiana team, uh, their top draft pick went 28th in the draft. It's just at the time, that was a second-round pick. So you have to have some form of NBA talent on the roster to be successful. Um, but number two here, it's just, again, goes back to the line of, of why that shooting is so important. KU just needs more shooting. Um, if Dewan Harris is a selective shooter, which... I think he's shown he's been pretty efficient just in a selective way. If that continues and you don't know what you're going to get out of Jalen Wilson shooting, like the shooting should be better, but is it going to be inconsistent 32, 33% or is it going to be in that 37, 38% range? If that's inconsistent and so is Kevin McCuller from three, then you are relying really on two guys from three. Uh, I mean, if you want to add in other players like, uh, I don't really know what the role necessarily, like who's going to win out, Joe Yesifu or Bobby Pettiford. Pettiford, we didn't even see attempt to three. Um, with Joe Yesifu, uh, the three-point shooting was good his last year at Drake, but that didn't carry over to KU. In the case of MJ Rice, the, the scouting report on him is that he can hit threes, but he's a streaky shooter. So think like Quentin Grimes, his freshman season at Kansas. Like There would be games where like the Champions Classic, where he hits like everything, and then there would be games where you just kind of felt like um, – you know, it's not really his night. And so you're kind of relying a lot on Zach Clements, who you don't totally know how much he's going to play. Cam Martin, you don't totally know how much he's going to play. And add to it that both guys are centers. And as much as I think the offense will adjust to having to stretch five out there and that Bill Self will draw some stuff up, like keep in mind, like the Morris twins were like 40% three-point shooters. Those guys averaged like, one and a half, two, two and a half threes per game. Perry Ellis was shooting like 40% um, his last year in college. He was averaging one or two threes per game. So if you're talking about a team shooting 20, 25 threes a game, and even if Zach Clements and Cam Martin are your best shooters, if they're only combining for five a game, the other 20 are coming from guys that you know are a little less consistent. Then you could say, well, Grady Dick will take you know, six, seven, maybe eight threes a game, which that would be a good amount. Like you're talking fee senior year numbers there, but that's kind of the expectation what Grady Dick can provide. It's just, it's tough when you have to rely that much on a new incoming freshman. And to begin with, even if he is a 40% three-point shooter right off the bat, which, you know, given the hype, that doesn't seem like that impossible. 
you need more than one guy. And even if you say, oh, well, we do have two because of the center position. Okay, but you need more than just the volume of, of two guys who are going to combine for 12 threes between the two of them per game. So you need more consistency there. And that doesn't mean that Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller have to be elite three-point shooters. It just has to show more consistency than it has for them again because they can still be a really good team. They can still be a top-10 team if that stuff doesn't happen. But that, to me, is the difference of can they repeat as national champions? Can they be one of the elite teams in the country versus just being really good? Because the defense should be really good. They have a bunch of transition play. They have a bunch of guys who can handle the ball, whether it's in transition or the half court. They have a bunch of guys who can drive to the rim. If the three-point shooting is there for those two guys, because both of them are going to play a lot of minutes and have a big role on this team, there's no reason this team can't be in the discussion to repeat as national champions. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, will join us in about 15 minutes. And Scott Chasen at the end of the 4 o'clock hour. We'll be right back after this. We are brought to you by Home Field Apparel. Home Field, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool, and they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, that's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Michael Swain will join the show in about 10 minutes from right now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Our daily poll for today at RCST 1320. So you can give us a follow and go vote on the poll yourself. Will Jalen Wilson get his jersey retired whenever he's done at KU? Yes or no? Very simple. Um, it's interesting because Jalen, if he really wanted to, uh, the, okay, I I can't say like shatter the record book because Danny Manning and you know Clyde Lavelle and guys like that have uh, made that very difficult to do and and probably impossible. Um, but in the case of Jalen, so he redshirted his first year, took the the medical redshirt. So then the twenty um twenty twenty one season. Starts off really hot, and that's his redshirt freshman season, but that is the COVID year. So uh, then you have this past season, which technically, I mean, he's listed as a, a redshirt sophomore at that point, or I guess academically a junior, but by his amount of basketball play, he would be a third-year freshman. So that means this next season academically he'll be a, a senior he'll be listed as a redshirt redshirt junior but because of the covid year for all intents and purposes he'll be a fourth year sophomore so he could be this next year and then have two more years hypothetically and just rack up all of these career totals and points and rebounds and rack up all this like nil money over the course of time and again not like yeah you're probably not going to at this point like break Danny Manning's record and, and stuff like that, but work your way into top tens, top fives on a lot of these lists and go down as one of the all-time KU greats. Nonetheless, I, I don't expect that to happen. I, I head into this year with the expectation 
this will be the final season for Jalen Wilson. He'll go out there, he'll ball out, and then he'll go into the NBA draft at the end of the season. That's kind of my expectation of what happens here this season. But that said, if that's my expectation, will that be enough to get his jersey retired? Obviously, we don't have the final piece to the puzzle, so it's partially you're just making the assumption what you think will happen this next season. But I'm under the assumption that he will end up being a first-team All-Big 12 player, maybe even Big 12 player of the year if KU wins the conference. It's going to be tough. There's other really good teams with Baylor and Texas and TCU and Texas Tech, and you go down the list of the gauntlet of the Big 12. But if he wins Big 12 player of the year, then it's it's not even a question. He just gets in. I kind of think he could and, and might and will win Big 12 player of the year. So that would get him in to begin with. Uh, so you're kind of taking that risk. But even if he doesn't, if he's an all-Big 12 first-team performer and he's like a third-team All-American and then he goes at the end of that year, you'd be looking at three years of work, a guy who won a national title ring, tied for your team high in points in that national title game, and had a first-team All-Big 12 season. He's had two other third-team All-Big 12 seasons. Um, at that point, uh, he'd be on pace to jump over like the 1,000-point plateau and all of those things. I kind of expect, based on the season that I'm expecting him to have, which should be a great season this next year, that he's going to have enough done at the end of this year that he will eventually get his jersey retired. But again, we don't totally know until we see it, and we actually see what happens this next season. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to take a time out here. When we come back, we're going to talk some KU basketball with Jalen and Kevin McCuller coming back to KU, or in the case of Kevin McCuller, coming back to college basketball, and some KU football talk as well with Michael. That on the other side. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Joined on a Thursday here by Michael Swain of Fog.net. And Jalen Wilson returning to KU, Kevin McCuller returning to college basketball and coming to KU. What are your expectations now for what both they are and could be for this team with another year under their belts in college basketball and here for uh, what their roles could be in the 2022-23 season? Yeah, I think from a big picture sense, I think both are all Big 12 caliber players. I think you saw that from... Jalen Wilson during Big 12 play last year, where I think he probably should have been higher on the Big 12 teams. Um, but the start of the season probably impacted that, which I think there are arguments for and against that being the case. And I think for starting with Wilson in particular, I think the biggest thing I'll be looking for is a three-point shot this next season. But he has all the expectations now to kind of be that lead guy. You know, we know who Dwan Harris is and we know what kind of role he's going to fill, but Kay's going to need someone to step up in the scoring department. And it seems like this is going to be Wilson's time to shine. 
You look at the roster construction, having someone at the five like Zach Clemens or Cam Martin um, who can space the floor, give Jalen Wilson more driving lanes. I think that could be a recipe for success for him, especially playing at the four. So I think for Wilson, it's one of those deals where if he doesn't become an all-Big 12 player, I think that's certainly going to be a disappointment. And I think with McCullough, it's the same deal. I think KU system will probably fit him a little bit better offensively than Texas Tech. Um, I think at times the Texas Tech offense, I mean, if you watched him last year, it, it just got ugly at times. And I think that the ability for him to play in KU's offense, again, playing with a, a spacing five where he can slash as well, I think that's a big thing. So I think both players um, will bring different things. You know, McCullough's obviously a lot better defensively than offensively, and Wilson's a lot better offensively than defensively. But I think both of them um, will have the ability to be uh, all Big 12 players this season. Do you envision Jalen being used that same way as, as the four, or do you think that, I don't know, maybe if the NBA prospects lean toward him being more of a three, like could you see him playing some three? Does this roster even allow for that? Not really, because I think if you're going to play Jalen at the three, it's just kind of, okay, so you're going to play KJ at the four, and then you run into kind of some of those spacing issues if, in fact, you have DeJuan Harris playing point guard. So I think it will be Jalen at the four, but I think you could even showcase that you can be a three in the NBA. It's all going to come down to the outside shot for him. And I think that's kind of the big question that I'll have at least going into the season because I think a lot of this stuff is kind of known. You know Jalen's a really good defensive rebounder. You know he's a really good offensive rebounder. You know he's really good at finishing around the rim. What you don't know is how is that three-point shot going to progress? Is he going to be able to get into the 30%? Um, I think that's going to be huge for him if he can get into kind of that 35 range. I think that'd be a huge win. He would certainly put himself in a position to be a draft pick if he gets into that range, but that's a huge jump for him, going from being in the 20s to all of a sudden being in the mid-30s. So I think for him, it's not necessarily where he plays. I think it's just the skill set that he shows because I think you look at different players um, in the past, and they may not play this specific position. They'll play in the NBA, but if they show the skill set that fits that position at the NBA, then it's just as good as that. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because the swing skill for both those guys is three-point shooting, like not just for mm-hmm. how impactful they could be at KU. And, and you mentioned like you need that for the spacing, but also uh, it's probably most beneficial for both those guys for their NBA careers. Do you think that if, if Jalen comes back, like obviously the expectation is, you know, we are talking with Kevin Flaherty from your guys with 24-7 earlier this week, and or maybe it was last week, and we're asking him about um, you know who, who's kind of the leader for Big 12 Player of the Year in the preseason. And he said it'd probably be either Adam Flagler or Jalen Wilson. Maybe you throw in someone else. But um, if you're a contender for Big 12 Player of the Year, you're obviously a contender for first-team all-conference and at that point a contender for some sort of all-American pick. Uh, do you think KU can be an elite team next season if – like, I, I don't mean from the standpoint of what Ochai did this year in terms of just, like, unanimous first-team All-American, but does Jalen Wilson have to be, like, a, a true All-American, Big 12 Player of the Year type of guy for KU to be elite next season? I think early in the season, yes, because it's so hard to know what to expect from the freshmen. You know, you're bringing in a loaded class in terms of talent and in terms of the rankings and things like that. It's the best class since kind of that Devon, McCormick, Quentin Grimes class in terms of the All-Americans and the number of five stars. But with freshmen, you just don't know 
how the adaptation process is going to go. Is it going to be like Devon where he hits the ground running, or is it going to be like Quentin where it took a while and never really clicked at KU? You just don't know. So I think for this team, you're early in the season. I think they will need Wilson to come out strong and have a really good start to the season, somewhat similar to what Ochai did last year. Maybe not in terms of the three-point shooting and those type of numbers, but just in terms of the overall impact because you look up and down the roster, there are a lot of players that are going to be stepping into new roles. Um, you know, they, they lose about 75% of the scoring and something like 73% maybe of the minutes. Um, there's a lot of guys that are going to have to take a step forward, and I think you're going to need someone to be a steadying force. And I think that's why it's so important that Wilson and even McCullough came back is because now you've got three players that have experience, that know what to expect night in and night out. And you can kind of just from the next, you know, five players each night, can you try and get something from them? Can you have a game where Grady Dick plays really well? Can you have a game where Zach Clements goes a while from three and maybe makes three or four threes? Can you just get some of those performances early in the season that can then combine with that experience? And so I think you need Wilson to play at a really high level early in the season. And I think the hope maybe is that as the season progresses, some of those freshmen and some of those underclassmen can take steps forward toward maybe at the end of the season, keeps a more well-rounded team than maybe it is the beginning of the season. But I think in terms of the like Big 12 Player of the Year, you know, first-team all-conference, like Jalen can for sure do that, and I think he can put the numbers up to do that. But I think as we saw last season toward the end of the Big 12 play, you know, Ochai kind of started to run out of gas, right? The efficiency numbers really fell off a cliff there the last kind of two, three weeks of the season, and it really kind of had an impact on KU. Can you kind of avoid that happening with someone like Jalen Wilson this season? I think that's going to be key, and I think that's going to rely mostly on how some of those players progress. Well, uh, that that kind of leads me to the next question, too, because Jalen coming back, he automatically kind of slots into that spot of, okay, we, we expect you know him to, to lead the team in scoring and do all these things for us, that you don't have those questions um, if you're Bill Self and the coaching staff about or whoever, just about like who's going to be the leader of this team. Um, but who do you think who do you think finishes second in the team in points per game? If I were to tell you, Jalen finishes first. I think it's McCuller. I just think he's going to play a bunch of minutes. I think we know at this point. I think we know Bill Self and we know what it takes to play on the floor a lot. And McCullough does that. He got he has a defense, he has the experience, so he's going to play a lot of minutes. And I think that the offense will allow him to have more success and maybe more in an efficient manner of scoring where you know, you're kind of hoping he's not going to be in the 40s in terms of field goal percentage. You hope that he's kind of in the high 40s, maybe even pushing up closer to 50 if he's not taking a bunch of threes. So I think for me, I look at McCullough, being the second leading scorer, I think kind of for me the big question is who's the third leading scorer? Is that going to be Dewan Harris? Is that going to be someone like Grady Dick? Could it be Zach Clements? I mean, if he's going to play a bunch of minutes at the five, that's maybe why I have even more questions is who's kind of that third person because I think the top two will be Wilson and McCuller. We're talking with Michael Swain of Fog.net here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Um, what do you envision being the biggest strength of this roster, and what do you view as being potentially the biggest Achilles heel? Yeah, I think the biggest Achilles heel is just going to be three-point shooting. Um, you look up and down the roster, and there's just not a lot there. 
you know, you, Grady Dick obviously was an incredible three-point shooter at the high school level. Um, physically, I wonder how is that going to translate if he goes up against more experienced guys that are more physically developed than he is at this point. I'm really interested to see how that develops. Um, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCullough, those are two guys that have been in the, you know, in the 20s in terms of three-point percentage. Can they get into the 30s? That's going to be a big question. What about Bobby Pettiford? What about Dewan Harris? Can Zach Clements, you know, shoot better than the the 27% that he shot from three last season. You know, you think about Zach Clements being a a floor spacer, and yet he shot under 30% from three last year. So I think overall three-point shooting is going to be my big question mark going into the season. I think the big strength is going to be defense. You look at the wing and what you have there in Juwan Harris, who can go and lock up some of the best point guards in the conference, and then you've got someone in McCuller who can take care of some of the best wings. And if you go up against a floor spacing four, Jalen Wilson can do that. And so... I think defensively, KU is going to be pretty solid to start the season. It's just a question of the floor spacing on offense and how does that impact KU and their ability to score the ball because they have some really good slashers. But if you don't have much three-point spacing, then it's a question of you know how much can those guys get to the rim. I do want to talk a little football with you here. Uh, the summer semester, I believe, starts up this next week. Um, do you think that... Uh, kind of will signal the end to whatever happens with KU football. Are you expecting any more additions before that deadline? And, and do you think that will serve as a hard deadline? Um, not necessarily a hard deadline, but I think we're kind of at the point now where KU, I wouldn't say running out of names, but they're at the point now where they've got kind of guys that they've been recruiting and now they're waiting on decisions. You know, um, Andrew Johnson is an offensive lineman from San Diego Mesa um, that took an official visit last week, waiting on a decision from him. He's picking between Kansas and Oregon State. Um, and then Dean Miller is another defensive end um, who took an official visit two weeks ago, I want to say, and also took an official visit to Indiana. Um, he's supposed to decide here pretty soon. So they're kind of the last two guys we're waiting on here. Um, and then once you get in the summer, I think you are right that you know we're not going to see KU really stretching and trying to go after guys and reaching. Um, I think we've said that from the get-go that, hey, there's going to come a point here when the KU staff is just going to not really try and reach to fill some of those spots to get to that 85 number just because it's not worth it. So I think those are kind of the last two names to really monitor. And then it's on to the class of 2023. You know, the coaches are on the road right now um, doing some of the mega camps and seeing some of those camps. And then they'll host their own camps in Lawrence here in late June. Um, They've got official visits coming up too. So they're really starting to kind of transfer their focus from the transfer portal and the JUCO ranks to now getting into the high school guys. Well, and if they don't fill up to the full 85 right now, then that means they're going to essentially be looking to fill up, you know, this next off season. Do you envision that fill up being more of those 2023 in-state guys, or do you envision that more so being now we know we have a, a full opening to bring in even more guys via the transfer portal come next December or whenever next offseason? Yeah, I think you'll see it be a, a good mix. I think what will happen is KU's going to take some high school kids. They're not going to take 20 high school kids. That's just not how this is going to work. At least that's my read on it. I think that they're going to take a crop of high school kids, and then they're going to look at the roster heading into next season and do a little bit of what they did this offseason, where it's where are the holes in the roster that we need to be able to compete and win games in that, that 2023 season. And I think you'll see it be a mix. Will it be as many transfer Portland JUCOs this year? 
Um, maybe not. I think it'll be more in kind of a, a blend of closer to almost 50-50, I would say. But I think this is a deal where because of that cap being removed, you can take your numbers and really try and plug holes with certain players in the transfer portal and with the JUCO players, and then also to try and fill some of the younger spots on the roster with some of those 2023 recruits and really trying to get that foundation set to where you can eventually get back to taking a lot more high school kids and really develop your program through the high school level, which I think long-term is where KU wants to be. But I think at the time, you've got to take advantage of the rules that are in place and the rules allow you to go after junior college recruits and transfer portal recruits without much penalty in terms of those income encounters. So I think overall, KU will take some high school kids as class, but I don't think it's going to be one of those traditional 25-man high school classes. Uh, I, I had this question asked me yesterday in a KU mailbag, and I thought it was very interesting, so I'm just going to ask it to you. Uh, so shout out to Lane for asking the question. It was, you know, what do you think is more likely, KU making a bowl game in 2022-23 or KU winning the national championship again in basketball? And it's funny because my immediate reaction was, oh, it'd have to be a bowl game. Like, it's, it's so hard to repeat, especially to win that tournament in March Madness once again. Like, there's so many things that has to go your way. But if you look at it from an odds perspective, uh, Vegas released KU at twelve to one after the season ended. I don't know. Maybe they end up closer to fifteen to one or twenty to one or something like that. Well, let's say it's twenty to one. Uh, I was looking at ESPN BPI and it has them at one point five percent. That's their chance to win six games. Which I guess you could get to a bowl game with five five wins, and and that would change the the uh, recipe there. But one point five percent chance equates out to being about 67 to 1. So the odds would tell you it's it's very much KU winning another national title. What would you pick though on those two? Yeah, I think I would pick the national title for KU going back to back with the Jalen Wilson coming back. I think that's a huge deal. I will say on the KU front for football, um I think a lot's going to depend on that Houston game. Like right now that's a loss if you're looking at the schedule and if KU buys out of it if something happens there where maybe they are able to schedule a different opponent that is a more winnable game. I mean, there's a good chance Q starts the season 3-0. and um, Or not 3-0, and sorry. They win the three non-conference games. Of course, they play West Virginia there early in the season. Um, but then you need three Big 12 wins, and they've not done that in a long time. Um, and I think that that would be really tough to do. Is it feasible? Could it happen? Yeah, but I think I'm on the same page as you there. I think it's more likely that KU kind of goes back-to-back, even though I think both these scenarios are unlikely, but I think KU winning the title in basketball is probably a little more likely this year than going to a bowl game. But let's talk about this question this time next year for 2023, and it might be a different answer. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Houston thing. Um, This has been something that I've heard from several different people. I know others have have seen it and heard it from several people. I know certain people have kind of talked about this on on social media and stuff, uh, about this idea that they're trying to get out. I, I have no idea how possible it is or how that all comes together. I would imagine it just involves KU paying some sort of like lump sum to get out of it. Like how, how possible do you think that is to get out of? And and isn't that something where like that, that has to be figured out pretty quickly. Like ESPN already released mm-hmm. that the game's going to be on whatever ESPN two or something like that at whatever time I would imagine that, you know, they need to get out of that pretty soon at this point. Yep. I'll be pretty honest here. I'm, I don't have much in terms of Intel, if you will. Um, but my personal opinion, read, not source, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I think that we're bumping up against the time now because, like you said, ESPN's already put out the time. They've already put out the network. 
And uh, I'm pretty sure Houston does not want all of a sudden lose hosting a Power 5 school, even if it is Kansas, hosting a Power 5 school for a game on their campus. Um, and it's going to cost money. It's going to cost a good amount of money. Like, I think I need to look at the contract again, but I think you're talking like in the millions in terms of getting out of the game and then buying another team to come to Lawrence and play you at home. So it just seems unlikely at this point. I think that in a perfect scenario, I'm sure KU would love to get out of it because Houston's going to be really good. They return a bunch from their, I think, 12 wins or 10 win season last year, maybe. Um, I'd have to look at the record again, but that Houston game's going to be good. And so I think in a perfect world, KU would get out of it if they could, but I just don't know how feasible that is considering the fact that, you know, we're a few months away from the start of the season and a few months away from that game. So it does seem like time is kind of running out. Well, the NBA Finals start tonight. Uh, Michael, Bay Area guy, more nervous for the Finals against the Celtics or were you more nervous for the Dodgers-Giants NLDS last fall? Oh, more nervous for the Warriors-Celtics. I can't stand the Warriors slander that will happen if they lose. <laughs> um, I, I can live with the Giants losing to a Hunter win Dodger team that just buys all the best players. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling good about the Warriors, if I'm being entirely honest here. Um, they might lose, so that's not great, but... We'll see. We'll see. It should be a fun two weeks. Well, Michael, I appreciate you hopping on, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Definitely sounds good, Derek. Thanks. That was Michael Swain of Fog.net, 24-7 Sports. One hour down, two to go. More KU basketball talk coming up. We also have a special draft with Scott Chasen of one-year Bill Self players coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. You're on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Some news from the Chiefs side of things. Orlando Brown has finally signed with an agent. The deadline for finding a long-term contract without just playing on the franchise tag is July 15th. So the Chiefs have a little bit less time to figure that out. They couldn't even negotiate because he didn't have an agent. This wasn't a situation like Lamar Jackson where he's just doesn't want an agent. is just negotiating on his own terms. That... Um, should be helpful in trying to find an extension. We'll see what happens. Uh, there was the rumors out there about, you know, uh, is Orlando Brown going to want to be the highest paid left tackle or, or offensive tackle, like $24 million. If that's the case, I would hope that you don't sign him for that because that is a lot of freaking money for a guy who um, was a solid player, good player, but, you know, you're not talking about Orlando Brown in the discussion of top five, top ten, left tackles right now. Um, so you hope an extension works out, but I'm sure there is a, a specific cost of money, and, and you hope that it's not one of those sunken cost fallacy type of things where it's, okay, um, you traded all this capital for this guy. Now you feel obligated that even though you think this is out of your price range or how much you should pay him, well, we traded all this for him. We might as well do that. No, don't do that. If it's past a certain number, you just live with it. That's just kind of part of the game. Uh, we had a question yesterday on the KU mailbag that I was going to honestly wait to get to till next week, but given the return of Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller adding to the KU roster, I figured I'd just get to it today. This was the leftover from yesterday. It was from Christy. Thank you for the question, Christy. List your starting five. Um. Now... 
it's a lot easier with Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller back if one of them would have, and I keep saying this is so annoying that I have to keep specifying instead of just saying back for Kevin McCuller, I have to say coming to KU. Uh, if one of those guys wouldn't have come to KU for next season and you'd be giving a scholarship to somebody else that we didn't know right now, it'd be a little more difficult to try to figure out. But certainly Dewan Harris, like lock him in for sure starter, right? Then you have at the four, most likely Jalen Wilson, lock him in for sure starter. Kevin McCuller, um, for sure starter. I, I feel pretty confident. I guess maybe not for sure because you're a new player to KU, but like 95%, 99% that he is a starter. So that's three or five right there. From there, it's just trying to figure out like what style of play are we going to play and then who will win the center battle. Zach Clements, Cam Martin, Ernest Uday, Zuby Edgefer. Do you start KJ Adams at the five? Or do you just play big? You have Kevin McCuller at the two, Jalen Wilson at the three, KJ Adams at the four. I don't expect that to happen. My expectation, Jalen Wilson will be at the four. You'll probably start, my guess would be Grady Dick. And whether you view Grady Dick or Kevin McCuller as the two or three, it doesn't really matter. Dewan Harris at the one. And then right now, I'd lean Zach Clements as the starting center. So that would be my starting five prediction right now. Harris, Dick, McCuller, Wilson, Clements. Uh, I, I know that's not, like, surprising. I think a lot of people have kind of predicted that so far. If you were to tell me that one thing were to be different to start the season, then you could... I would buy into the notion that to start the season, because we've seen guys like Kelly Oubre, I think he started their first game, but overall, early in the season, he was coming off the bench for a lot of the games. Like, we've seen freshmen kind of eventually hit their mark in in fresh or in uh in January or something like that. So you could convince me that like Bobby Pettiford or Joe Yesifu is the starter over Grady Dick and then Grady Dick eventually works his way in. Or you could convince me that any of those other centers end up starting over Zach Clements. I'll tell you what, if you have a, a lineup with KJ Adams at the five, Jalen Wilson at the four, Kevin McCuller or Grady Dick or MJ Rice or whatever combination of those wings at the two and three, and then Dewan Harris at the one, you could pretty much switch every position except for you just don't want Dewan Harris buried on their center. That's pretty fun. But yeah, that would be my uh, starting five projection right now. Now, um, I, I do want to take this a little bit further of an overall way too early rotation projection because I think sometimes, especially in the offseason, and it's hard because we don't know who in the offseason is, season is going to beat out the other people in, in terms of um, like who's going to be the first string center, who's going to be the second string center, things like that. And so it becomes a little more difficult, and, and you just look at all these guys individually, and you see, okay, this guy's a former top 40 recruit. This guy is a, a highly uh, rated freshman coming in, or this guy had all this success at his previous stop before he transferred in. We did this all last season, too. Remember, we went into the year. Okay, Cam Martin's going to play a big role. He ends up redshirting. Zach Clements or KJ Adams, they'll play a big role. They didn't really play much. Mitch Lightfoot ends up beating him out. Joe Yesifu, he comes in. The conversation was, okay, he adds this, this dynamism and, and creation and ability to score off the dribble from the point guard spot that KU didn't have the season before. Outside of that like month and a half where Remy Martin was injured, he wasn't like a for sure part of the rotation. Jalen Coleman lands. It's like, oh, why would you bring on a sixth or a seventh year 
player if he wasn't going to be a part of the rotation. And Jalen Coleman-Lands would play here and there, but he wasn't like a, a fixture in the rotation, right? So it's it's easy to go through the roster right now and say, this guy, this guy, this guy, they're all going to play. Like, how would this guy not play? What are you talking about? This guy's the top. But somebody has to not play. You realize that, right? There, there are 13 guys on the roster. Bill Self typically in March it's going to get down to a seven-man rotation, maybe an eight-man rotation, where the eighth guy is sparingly playing come March in the important games. So that means five or six guys are not going to really be a part of the rotation come March. During the regular season, it's expanded a little bit more. It's usually eight to ten guys in the regular season. Like the, I think, 2011 team, it was like ten guys. Um, this past year, you could probably say eight, maybe nine, given on the certain day. just depends who it was. So it just kind of depends on the uh, given year. But let's say 8 to 10 guys for the regular season. So regular season, you don't have to cut as many guys. Um, But I think in the regular season, Dewan Harris, Joey Asifu, Bobby Pettiford, all three of those guys I expect to be a part of the rotation in some way or another. Dewan Harris is going to eat up most of the point guard minutes, 30, 35 minutes. But the backup point guard minutes, and then there will be a lot of minutes to give out to one of those guys at the two. As far as wings that are going to play, Grady Dick, going to play. MJ Rice, going to play. Kevin McCuller. Again, I expect him to be playing a, a very big role. Same with Jalen Wilson. KJ Adams, I don't know if you want to consider him forward or a center or a wing or whatever. I feel like he'll be part of the rotation in the regular season. Then you look at the center. Again, if you want to say Adams there, you can. Uh, Zach Clements. And then I think like I, I expect Zach Clements to start at this point in time. But if you told me one of these other centers like emerged over him, that wouldn't be like a total shock because you just have so much talent in that center room. Not not a knock against him. It'd just be more of this other guy did so well, right? Um, but even if Zach Clements doesn't play as the starter, I feel very confident he would at least be the backup there. Nonetheless, if you just want to make it even simpler, between Zach Clements, KJ Adams, Zuby Edgefer, Ernest Duda, Cam Martin, those five guys at the five position, just say two of them are going to play as part of the main rotation. Maybe you say a third, like you could say, okay, it'll be Zach Clements and Cam Martin, or it'll be Zach Clements and one of the freshmen. And then KJ Adams will play, say, five minutes as a backup five, and he'll give you 10 minutes at a forward position or on the wing or something. And I'm really high on KJ Adams. I, I'm really high what his future could be. It's just tough to figure out the minutes for KJ Adams when I talk about that because of the fact that. He does, I think, long-term more profile to be a four, and you have Jalen Wilson coming back who's going to play 30 to 35 minutes at that position. But nonetheless, um, once it goes to the postseason, like this is what I look at. You have Dewan Harris, because again, it's only going to be seven or eight guys once we get to the, the end of March. That's just typically what a Bill Self rotation looks like. Dewan Harris, and then by then, it'll probably just be one of Joe Yesvu or Bobby Pettiford. It'll whittle down to whichever one of the two. On the wing, I still think Grady Dick, MJ Rice, Kevin McCuller, and Jalen Wilson. So now you're at six guys. And then at center, you know, in the regular season, you're probably looking at possibly three guys between Clements, Adams, Edgefer, Uday, and Martin. Postseason, you're probably just looking at two between that that group of five centers. So that's kind of how I look at it working out, which means the battles on the roster are this. It's Joe Yasufu versus Bobby Pettiford. Which again, I think both guys can survive in the regular season, but once you get down to the you know postseason, and, and who knows, maybe it's like it could be the difference between whoever wins that battle is playing twenty twenty five minutes a game versus whoever's not is only giving you ten minutes a game in the regular season and not part of the rotation in the postseason. 
Um, MJ Rice versus Grady Dick is interesting, not from the standpoint of, like, I think one won't be part of the rotation. I think both guys will be part of the rotation. But in that, there are only so many minutes to go around and that um, that's very much going to be a battle for a starting spot. It's very much going to be a battle for, you know, who plays a whatever chunk of minutes that you have to divvy up between them. And then even honestly, like, if you look at it as the backup four minutes behind Jalen, it could be five minutes, it could be ten minutes that are available as the backup four. Do some of those go to, do all of them go to KJ Adams? Do some of those go to Kevin McCuller or Grady Dick or MJ Rice? And if they go to McCuller, that's more minutes open at the two and three for Grady Dick and MJ Rice. So those guys will both play. But the battle there of, you know, could one guy get 25 and the other plays 15 or could both be at 20 or whatever it is, I, I don't know how that'll work out. And then just the last position battle, it's the entire center position. You can convince me any of those guys would be the starter. You could convince me any of those guys um, will lead the team in minutes as far as the centers go. So it's really just a complete battle at those positions. But yeah, Dewan, McCuller, Jalen Wilson, like those are the rocks in the lineup. But then there are other guys you point to and say, yeah, you'll have a role on the team. I'm just not quite not quite sure like if it'll be 25 minutes a game, it'll be 30 minutes a game, and if it'll be 10 minutes a game um, because there are a lot of bodies, once again, on this year's team, just like we headed into last year, that you can easily see many different varying lengths of role on uh, this upcoming team. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Scott Chasen is going to join the show in about 20 minutes. We're going to do a draft of one-year Bill Self players with Scott. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here and joined by Scott Chasen of 24. I'm just joking, but we are joined by Scott Chasen here, um, so you don't have to put up the number fingers there. Uh, I don't have a title for you, former friend of the show. I mean, you're always a friend of the show, but no longer on regularly with Scott Chasen here. Have you missed your appearances on RCST? Well, hey, Derek, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, oftentimes <laughs> texter. I'm not sure if people know how often I text you about things that are on the radio, but no, I have missed coming on. Um, obviously, we used to do a great movie review segment, uh, and before that, a lot of guest hijinks. That was a segment mm. I came up with, too, so I really <laughs> enjoyed contributing to the show here. Well, uh I guess thank you uh, is is all we can say for that. Um, and the reason we're bringing you on today, we we originally had this pre-planned out. We thought the Phoenix Suns were going to be in the NBA Finals that's starting up tonight. <laughs> so we planned this out in advance to talk to you. But since that's not actually the case, um, let's do a draft. We're, we're going to draft. Uh, we did this a couple times last week uh, with Adam. We did two-year players and three-year players under Bill Self. There's a lot of one-year players as well. Obviously, you think immediately when you hear one-year player of one-and-dones, but with the transfer era, we've seen some more guys like Remy Martin and Isaiah Moss and, and so forth or other guys who have transferred out of the program and only be with Bill Self for one season. So we're going to do a one-year player draft of Bill Self. And the only rules that we have here, um, I mean, first of all, we're, we're going to each draft six guys, starting five, sixth man. 
again, like you, you can draft however you want on your team. If you want to draft five centers, you can do that, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but you cannot take current players. So like Cam Martin has only been under Bill Self for one year, but does it count that this next year will be two? I don't know. We're just not going to deal with current players. And also there is a list of guys who spent one year under Bill Self, but like never played a game or it wasn't even necessarily a full year. Like you think of Billy Preston, who I guess technically did play, but exhibition games. So I'm talking regular season games. Billy Preston would classify guys who transferred it. Like Evan Maxwell came in, redshirted a year, then left. Jack, uh, oh, Jack Whitman, I want to say, guy from uh, mm-hmm. William and Mary, I think, um, came in, and you know, uh, summer was enough to find out that this was not for him. And uh, there's guys like that. We're gonna save those for another category, which is gonna be our zero year slash five slash six year players because that list is a little bit smaller and we need more names there. Um, so one year player draft and I'm going to give you the option. You've taken some time out of your day. You're, you're coming on here as a guest. You can either have the choice of whether you pick first or second. Obviously it's a snake draft or I have a rusty penny that we can flip. Uh, I would like to flip the coin mostly so I can call tails because tails never <laughs> fail. And uh, let's say whoever wins the coin toss uh, gets the first pick. Okay, that's fair. Um, I, I feel like no matter what happens, you're going to say that this is rigged because you can't actually see me flipping the coin. But again, I'm about to flip a very rusty penny. It has hit the table. It jumped into my hand, and it is tails. So you, okay. uh, are you sure you don't want winning the toss to be you pick your pick? Okay, yeah, no, I'll choose to defer, and I will actually take the second pick. Does that work? Yeah, that's fine. I will uh, take pick number one. Okay, so as we look at, you know, this is interesting because the player pool here, this is something you have to think about with drafts. Like, for instance, Remy Martin is is not the best player here. And, again, like this is a tough exercise to go through because do you value it based on, like, Joel Embiid? Do you value it based on Joel Embiid at Kansas, which is still a really good player? Or do we look at it as like, well, we know what Joel Embiid is now, and it's just based on, I, I don't know. But, like, again, like Joel Embiid, probably a better player at Kansas than Remy Martin. Like Andrew Wiggins, Josh Jackson, better players than, than Kansas, or at Kansas than Remy Martin. But, like, I look at those positions at center and on the wing, and, and I kind of wonder, like, man, is the drop-off not as big there to what it is at point guard? Because at point guard, it's like, it's Remy Martin – or it's like Latrell Giselle, or it's playing a combo guard there. And so I'm very tempted to take Remy Martin, but now that I've distracted you with making you thinking I'm taking Remy Martin, I'm taking Joel Embiid. Okay. See, here's the thing, Derek. I, I, I Did you expect me to do that? Into this. I, I didn't put too much research into this, um, but I did put some because one time I came into a draft unprepared and uh, <laughs> pretty legendary. It ended up being a disaster. I would like mm-hmm. to do a pizza draft at some point just so I can redeem myself on that. But uh, I workshopped many scenarios for this draft, and in all of them I had Joel Embiid going first. Mm. Uh, I could not figure out who else would be taken, so when you said Remy Martin, um, for a second there I was actually very concerned, but I had no idea how this draft was going to go. So, okay, Remy, uh, Joel Embiid is your first pick. Yes, I was prepared for that. And I similarly uh, looked at this board. I, I thought about taking Remy and taking one of the wings or pairing them in any which way. But, uh, you know, I, 
when KU was recruiting Matthew Hurt and Jeremiah Robinson Earl to play together, uh, it was kind of a weird fit just in terms of, like, stylistically, you know, there were a couple of big men, a couple of modern age for different reasons, four and five men that could have played together, but it would have been sort of an awkward fit in some areas. It worked at the World University, or not the World University Games, the FIBA Americas, but I was kind of questioning what it would all look like in a Bill Self offense, and uh, especially a modern one, and what a recruiting analyst told me was, you know, sometimes you just get the best players, you worry about it later, and so I think that's going to be my strategy with this, so uh, if you haven't figured out where I'm going with this, my first pick, I'm going to take Andrew Wiggins. Um, I think he is one of the most skilled players I've ever seen come through Kansas. He had such a mature game and an advanced basketball package. Uh, and then give me Josh Jackson right after him. Mm. I think those two guys on the wing, I, I think they're the, they are the number one and number two best players in this draft. So uh, I'll let you take Remy Martin if you want him on the swing pick, but I want to load up on wings and uh, have a little fun playing that way. Yeah, so you're going to be like the Boston Celtics here with their uh, their two wings. I like that a lot. I was hoping one of those guys would fall to my next pick here. Um, I do have questions about your team shooting, but obviously you can still round that out with some other picks here. Okay. Um, man, see, do we go back to the, the Remy Martinwell here? Oh, gosh. I, I could use a wing as well because of the fact that you have those good wings, and that would certainly help. But the question is, which wing? So I'm between, I could just take both and then prevent you from getting them. Okay, uh, I am between Xavier Henry and Kelly Oubre. Um, both of those guys, I, I think in the case of, of Oubre, he probably helps me out like positionally defending those guys for you a little bit better. But in the case of Xavier Henry, he provides more shooting and of an outside scoring. And Xavier Henry, like, Again, people kind of forget about the season that he had because it was on that team that lost in the second round in Northern Iowa, and so it doesn't have that long of a a journey there. And then to begin with, when you just think about that team, the first thing you think about is you just automatically think about Sharon and Cole Aldridge, and you don't really think about Xavier Henry, but the dude averaged like close to 14 points per game, 40% from three, so I'm talking myself into it. I'm going to take Xavier Henry. Um I don't know what position he's going to play yet, but I feel like he can play the two or the three for my lineup. That gives me a little bit of versatility. And then I am going to go with Remy Martin. Um, I, I do kind of want to take Kelly Oubre there, but I I don't know. Maybe you'll take Kelly Oubre here and, and make me look silly and hurt me more on the wing. But if you take Kelly Oubre as well, I'm even less concerned about your team shooting to go with if, if that's your kind of lineup two through four. So I'll go Remy Martin because of the fact that even though – I, I don't know. I guess Remy Martin probably was comparable with Kelly Oubre, what they did, if you just look at like the statistics and stuff. So I think that's fair anyway. But again, going back to the idea that um, there's not as many point guards here. I know already who you're planning on taking at point guard. It's a combo guard um, whose name starts with the letter Q. But I I don't oh. love all of the, the point guards that are available there. Either that or I don't know. Maybe you're going for like Connor Frankamp to get a little shooting. I'm going to take Remy Martin, and I feel good about where I'm at at the point guard position in relation to those other guys up there. Yeah, I, I again, I think that's the right pick. I am uh, going to take Kelly Oubre for a couple of reasons. One, he was actually a good three-point shooter, shot about 35%, and 
for the record, Jack, Josh Jackson obviously wasn't a great one, low volume, but a Big 12 play. He was over 40% from three, and Andrew Wiggins can also stretch it, even if it's just in the mid-range. But uh, the reason I, I actually think Kelly Oubre would have been, if I were in your shoes, the pick I would have taken is just positional size. Um, what I noticed, there really aren't many point guard options. There really aren't many center options. But you know what this draft is, is really lacking? It's lacking a four-man. It's lacking the four position. Uh, really, your only options are Wiggins and Josh Jackson. No one else has anywhere close to enough size uh, to kind of deal with those guys. I mean, there are similar, like Xavier Henry's like 6'6", NBA athlete, you know, good player. But uh, I'm not sure I want him down at the post as my second, you know, second biggest guy on my team. So I like having Kelly Oubre and just take a lot of positional size. Um, then next, because I have a lot of options, I feel like, in the backcourt now, I am going to take Tarek Black, and uh, the reason I'm taking Tarek Black is I think there is such a huge drop-off after Tarek Black, either Cliff Alexander or Shaq Diallo. Tarek Black had a nice NBA career, uh, caught on with the Houston Rockets, Los Angeles Lakers. He played in the league, uh, and I think he's not better than Joel Embiid, although um, for their times at Kansas, they were a lot closer than I think some might think. Yeah, I mean, he started uh, over but, him for a while. Yeah, but... Um, I, I just need a body there, and I was mostly afraid that you would take Tark Black, and, and then I wouldn't have him. So I'm willing to leave my guards until the very end because, honestly, Derek, I've got five options in the backcourt that, uh, honestly, I'd be happy with any of them. So I will leave the next two picks up to you. Yeah, I probably didn't think through enough the lack of options at the four, and I'm sitting here after you said that going, oh, no, do I, do I like, draft Tyon Grant Foster to play the four? Do I... I, I get. I mean, Xavier Henry is six foot six, and he's really athletic. So, like, if he's if he's the four, and Josh Jackson's your four, who's six eight and really athletic as well, I don't know. Maybe I can get away with that, but I don't love that. So, I, I think at this point, I'm just gonna steer into the fact that I'm not gonna have size there, and I'd rather not take like a Quintrell Thomas or a second center to play that position, like a David Paget or Cliff Alexander or something. I don't want to be like that. I would rather play four guards and be undersized and just try to beat you with quickness and, I don't know, be kind of like that. I know this is sacrilegious to say this, but that 2012 Missouri team where basically Kim English, who was like a 6'4 shooting guard, was their four. And, and yeah, they had problems defensively. Um, but, you know, what's different about that team to this one that I have, I have Joel Embiid in the center. And that team had Ricardo Ratliff. Um, so that being said, I'm just going to steer into that and take a bunch more guards, get some more shooting on the outside, uh, the question is, who do I take? I think right now, if you're looking at just like best player available, I think Quentin Grimes, even though it was it was kind of disappointing for KU, like overall he was still like a, a fine player. Um, Isaiah Moss and Jalen coleman lands just in terms of having shooting on the outside would be up there. Oh, gosh, Josh Selby is talented but did not have efficiency at all, and then you're looking at those center positions. I'm going to go with Quentin Grimes. Uh, the beauty of Quentin Grimes is it does give me another ball handler and it gives me someone who has like for his position, he has good size, right? So, um, that'll at least help offset some of your size, at least just like a tiny bit. And then I do want one of those, um, outside shooters, but do I go, I don't know. I don't know who had the better season, Isaiah Moss or Jalen Coleman lands. I know I saw you on Twitter, uh, did the, the Spider-Man meme with the two of them because it's, it's very much like they're both just like shooters from the outside. Um, I think Isaiah Moss was probably like, I don't think either were great defenders, but I, I think Isaiah Moss was probably slightly better defender than Jalen Coleman lands, but also Jalen Coleman lands probably had a higher ability to go off. Like he averaged 15 a game at Iowa state. Moss never, 
did something like that. And, and Coleman Lance probably can handle the ball a little bit more. So you're getting more offense from him. I'm going to go Isaiah Moss, though, just for the defensive. Again, like it's not like he's – I don't view him as like being a good defender or anything, but I think it's a little more there than Jalen coleman Lance. So, uh, yeah, that's my starting five, I guess. Remy Martin, Isaiah Moss, Quentin Grimes, Xavier Henry. I have no size. Hopefully Joel Embiid's blocking a lot of shots. Who are your next two picks? Yeah, well, look, I was – in my head, if you didn't take – if you had gone with the wings, I was going to put Remy Martin with Isaiah Moss. So I like – for the most part, I actually really like your team, and I think it would be a really fun team. Now, obviously, you're going with the quickness. I, I've gone with a little more size, but I, I still feel good about guys like Josh Jackson. Andrew Wiggins was a great college defender. Even Kelly Oubre just competing with Yeah, that's the guards, problem. I don't think like, all your guys, so even though you have more size, like, all your guys are known as being these, like, unreal athletes where it's not like, oh, okay, it's not like they're that. Like, is Isaiah Moss faster than Andrew Wiggins? No. Yeah, I, it's funny. I would consider a trade of Isaiah Moss for Kelly Oubre, but um, just as I look at my team, but I, I think I'm going to stick with my guys. No, I'm not <laughs> uh, not making any deals yet. We'll see. But I'll give you I, I cash consideration. Okay. <laughs> I, I want Connor Frankamp. Uh, he was actually the name I picked uh, as the guy I wanted as my point guard if I couldn't have Remy. I would have taken Quentin Grimes. I would have. At at one point, I thought about pairing a couple of combo guards together, depending on how this draft uh, went. Uh, There was a time where I thought I might take Kelly Oubre and make him my sixth man, uh, which I still might do, depending on how this team is. So uh, I guess I've got one more pick, and it's between, for me, Jalen Coleman-Lands and Bryce Thompson, maybe Josh Selby. Uh, He was a little bit, you know, he had a great debut. He dealt with the injury. I think he was like a summer league NBA MVP, so clearly uh, the talent was there, but I'm going to take Bryce Thompson, and the reason why is I just need some more ball handling just in case. You know, that's a lot to put on Connor Frankamp, who I'm not necessarily sure is even better than Bryce Thompson, especially when you consider defensively. But I I feel like if I have Bryce Thompson on my bench, it at least gives me some versatility, it gives me some options, gives me a defense spark plug that I go to, and a guy who eventually, you know, maybe the shot comes around and hits a bunch uh, hits a bunch of threes at Oklahoma State. So I'll go with Bryce Thompson. I don't love the spacing of my team. That's kind of the one element, but I think I have enough guys that can make it work, and I'm sort of just hoping to overwhelm everyone with athleticism and length and size, uh, sort of like that Kentucky team uh, that, you know, obviously lost in the in the final four of the 38-1 team. So that is how I round out my team, and I'm curious who you get to round out yours. I'm thinking about David Padgett, the one year he had before he transferred away. Actually put up good numbers, but I don't really want a backup center. Give me the flamethrower off the bench. <laughs> it's more fun when your sixth man is just like firing three. So I'll take Jalen Coleman lands, and that that's going to be my strategy. It's, again, like you have the size, you have all this athleticism. I'm just going to feed Joel Embiid, and I am going to hope that everyone else just gets hot from three. That, that's my one chance here because I, I actually think your team's a little better. Uh, you know what? I would enjoy watching your team. Well, that's not true. I would enjoy watching both of these teams a whole lot, and I would enjoy watching Joel Embiid. And uh, you know, that would be the biggest matchup issue I think for either of us. We're going to have to design a whole defense around getting to Joel Embiid, scrambling out to shooters. And you have so many shooters that I think your team would win a fair amount of games in a series. But yeah, I just couldn't pick against best player available with Uber Wiggins and Jackson. And then after that, I figured I could just plug in the pieces. Okay, so do you want to make a trade? Isaiah Moss for Kelly Oubre. I will give you a future fourth-round pick. 
eat your fourth round pick in the zero or five year draft. No, yes. I don't think I will. But I will say this. Uh, I actually think you're going to get a little bit more support uh, when you put this poll up than maybe you think at the moment. I think it's particularly because, like, Isaiah Moss gets the national championship bump, even though, you know, that team didn't get to play in the tournament, but people regard him that way. Joel Embiid is going to get a huge bump for what he's done in the NBA, and Remy is obviously yeah. going to get a national championship bump there, too. You, you might have a, a little bit more of a fan-favorite team than me that I think will help, so... Um, you know what? I, I think you made out very well in this one. And, you know, maybe sometime after we do the zero or five year draft, too, we can draft Stranger Things basketball players. Ooh. Because I've been rewatching, and there's a lot of basketball in that show, which is pretty surprising to me. I am totally down for that. Yeah, I do. I do agree now that I look at it. Like, and the fact that, like you said, Andrew Wiggins was so good at Kansas, especially considering he was a freshman. But for a lot of people, they feel like there was meat left on the bone. I, I think partially because of how it kind of finished in that Stanford game. So yeah, from a fan vote, like I wouldn't be surprised if I win. But I think I think if this was an NCAA tournament game, I would view this like a 50-50 game because of the fact that I have the three-point shooting and the, the matchup nightmare with Embiid. I think in a seven-game series, I'm probably taking your team in either six or seven, though. Is that fair? Yeah, that, I think that's exactly how I would put it. When I was doing like a series, I think eventually I'd just wear your team down. And by the end of it, Joel would be exhausted and you know, having to go up against all these double teams and you can't really count on shooting up the road. But yeah, NCAA tournament, this would be 100% be a matchup where it's like, well, is their team going to get hot or is my team going to overwhelm them? And let's see who adjusts first and who can make changes. So yeah, absolutely. I think this would be right on a 50-50 game in the tournament. Cool. Well, we still have the four-year one. We have the zero slash five plus six. We have, we'll do Stranger Things at some point. So uh, season of drafting here in the summer. Scott, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and uh, joining the RCST uh, family once again. Well, it is great to be back in the family. As you know, you uh, get many opportunities in your life to join different families, but this is clearly the best one. So thank you. <laughs> that was Scott Chasen joining us here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. We'll put that up for a poll on the RCST Twitter account at RCST1320. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk, two hours down, one to go here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it.